we're so used to seeing things that, in my opinion, aren't quite right in our treatment of animals. Yeah, the less we eat, the less violence is being done and the less destruction to the environment. Everyone eats and everyone has to make a moral decision every time that we sit down to the table. Welcome to Animal Voices, Western Canada's only radio program dedicated to animal advocacy and compassionate living. This is 100.5 FM CFRO Vancouver Co-op Radio in Vancouver, BC, Canada, unceded Coast Salish territories. Today is Friday, May 15th, 2020. I'm your host, Elise Jacobson. Thank you for joining me here on this beautiful day. May is International Respect for Chickens Month. Today, we'll be sharing with you a fascinating encore interview from 2018 with Dr. Lori Marino, a neuroscientist and expert in animal behavior and intelligence. Lori received her PhD in biopsychology in 1995 and is internationally known for her work on the evolution of the brain and intelligence in dolphins and whales, as well as primates and farmed animals. She has published over 130 peer-reviewed scientific papers, book chapters, and magazine articles on marine mammal biology and cognition, comparative brain anatomy, self-awareness in non-human animals, non-human and human-animal relationships, and the evolution of intelligence. Her paper entitled Thinking Chickens, a review of cognition, emotion, and behavior in the domestic chicken, was published in the journal Animal Cognition in 2017. In this interview today, she speaks to us on some of the fascinating findings from the recent research on chickens, both in terms of their stunning intelligence and their remarkable social and emotional complexity. That's coming up in just over half an hour, so stay tuned. We'll also be discussing the ethics around keeping backyard chickens and talking about one of our favorite childhood movies, Chicken Run. To start, here's the 15th field band playing the main title theme from the film.
In light of International Respect for Chickens Month, we thought it would be fun and appropriate to rewatch the 1999 stop-motion film Chicken Run and do a critical assessment of the film. I wanted to revisit this film because it addresses complex issues with a clear anti-speciesist message. It speaks directly to the innocence of children at an age where they are still viewing animals as their friends. The film shows chickens as living, breathing, thinking, feeling beings with strong individual personalities and aspirations. As an adult, it is much more clear that this claymation covers a lot of ground. There are themes of corporate greed and animal agriculture, the shift towards industrial farming which harms humans and chickens alike, compromised rights of farm workers, and simply an animal's right to live. So, do either of you have some first reactions, some feelings about this film? Uh, yeah, it, it was it was super cool to watch this again. Um, I'm old enough that I saw it when it first came out. I think I saw it in the theater. Um, you two were probably early born at that time. <laughs> um, yeah, so I kind of like remembered little bits of it, but there was a lot that I didn't remember. It's been a good 20 years. Um, and I, it was amazing actually to watch it again, not only as a grown up, but just being somebody now who's, uh, view of animals and animal use has so radically shifted from when I was younger, um, to kind of see it through different, two different perspectives. Yeah. But it's, it's so fun. It's very funny. Um, it's kind of got, like even though it's so lighthearted and fun to me it has sort of an unapologetic animal rights message you really just sort of root for the chickens and the human farmers are the bad guys and it's like very clear but yeah anyway i i had a really good time watching it again yeah um i recently rewatched it with my partner and um so i was excited to see it again because seeing it as an adult you realize that unapologetic side of it and how it's talking about chickens with intense personhood that are in captivity and you know it's wrong. And I think it's interesting that they're sharing that message of the reality that we live in, that it's wrong for anyone to be in captivity and no one wants to live that way. So there's the antagonist of the film, Mr. and Mrs. Tweedy. And it starts out with Mr. Tweedy, uh, who is kind of the like the the farm hand and he's putting a chicken in solitary confinement and how he's kind of gone a little crazy working um, in his conditions. So seeing it again, I kind of was able to see how it alludes to not only the rights of the chickens, but also problems with uh, workers' rights. The other thing about Mr. Tweedy that kind of struck me was to me, he represents weak masculinity. He's a failed masculinity. Because we know about the sexual politics of meat, the association between meat eating and farming and man manliness and masculinity and the fact that these chickens are trying to escape and that they're so intelligent says something about him as a failed farmer, as a failed example of masculinity, which I feel like is also coupled with Mrs. Tweedy, which by the way, her first name was Militia is kind of like malicious, like she's a malicious person. And she kind of uses her femininity to sell her products. Like we see on a big billboard, you see, it's a woman's touch. Like there's something about her as a woman and because she is a woman, she is able to produce a product that is seemingly more humane or nice. Whereas she's really the main antagonist of the film herself. So that's such an interesting point. I actually didn't think of it that way. And yeah, it's it's interesting to tie it into the fact too that, um, you know, eggs are kind of a, a feminized 
animal product. And that sort of is alluded to quite a bit in the film as well, you know, how it's only the female hens who are producing the eggs. And I also found it interesting that even though, again, it's like a lighthearted, funny kids film, they didn't shy away from making clear that when the hens stopped laying eggs, they were killed. And it was, there was one of them, they had this friend and she hadn't laid eggs for a week and the farmer, you know, went in with his ax and chopped the the chicken's head off. And it's not great, you know, graphic or gory or anything, but they really do just, you know, drive the point home. Up until the point that um, Edwina, which is the one who had been killed originally for not laying any eggs, before that point, they didn't know that they were going to be killed. And they were already trying to escape. So some people might think, well, they're only trying to escape because they think they're going to be killed. But besides that, if they were just being raised as as chickens who were going to be laying eggs, then it wouldn't be so bad, right? Like the only reason they're trying to escape is that, but rather they've been trying to escape this whole time. You disagree? Yeah, because... um. So they had been saying that they knew this would happen because they had the weekly lineups. And if you weren't laying eggs, then you should tell someone else because they can give you some of their eggs so that your numbers would be high enough. So I think Ginger, um, who's the main character, the, the main chicken that wants to get out, she's aware of this at least because they were all saying like, oh, Edwina didn't tell anyone. And I wanted to add too that it's interesting because you talk about failed masculinity and I think it's interesting that for them, the chickens are going to be, they're going to be killed if they don't lay enough eggs anymore. And I think that's an interesting idea of like failed womanhood that, you know, they're the providers that they have to, that once they stop laying, they're not worthy of living. And the idea that Mrs. Tweedy has the woman's touch, but in reality, she hasn't done any of those things. She um, has really no interest in raising anyone. She doesn't even see the personhood in the individuals that, that, live on her land and that she's raising or her husband she doesn't seem very to like him very much (laughs) I think they knew that something would happen to her if she wasn't producing eggs but the fact that she didn't know where she was going and then they climb up on the roof and they're like why would they do that to her like I it just didn't seem to me like they knew and I feel like their strategy and their like group effort changed after that point so for me that was like a turning point that they had to witness it happening in order for them to actually do something and make a change because that one character, Bunty, I think she represents victim blaming because she says, well, Edwina died because she wasn't good enough. She didn't try enough, right? Like you said, like a failed femininity, failed womanhood, whatever that means. She's accepting her position as an oppressed person. Like, it's okay because this is what I'm made for. Like, I am a chicken who produces eggs and if I can't produce eggs, then... That's that. But I feel like most of the chickens, although we don't hear from every single one of them, like I think most of them do agree that they they need to get out of there. I really like that. I think that's a great way to verbalize that. And I do think you're right. I honestly want to rewatch that first scene. And there was a couple little gaps. So it could have been. So I kind of like that it's up for that interpretation. Yeah, especially talking about that victim blaming, because that point was extremely hard to hear. And a good point that you have to think beyond the situation you're in. And some people don't want to do that. Yeah, there was one uh, interesting line that Ginger, the protagonist, had. I can't remember the exact words, but she said something to the effect of that, you know, the all of us, the us chickens, we're not just in these physical cages. The cages are up here in our heads. Um, and so many revolutionaries throughout history have kind of said similar things to that. I think there's a famous quote from Harriet Tubman, you know, saying that, 
she could have freed more slaves if they knew they were slaves and that kind of thing. There's so much quite often when somebody is in a situation where they're trapped and where they're very oppressed, it does really get in your head. You know, you get to a point where you think there's no way I could ever get out of this. So why should I even try? So that was, yeah, that I thought was an interesting point. Adding on to that, I think that was also, that was the scene right after Bunty was doing all the victim blaming and building onto that, she goes into Ginger, the protagonist, the leader kind of of the group of the escape mission. She is leading them to this, this future reality that nobody can really imagine. And she's telling them, she's saying, I can't imagine either. I don't know what it's going to look like, but we're going to get there. And even at the end, when they've all escaped and they're all in the grass and Rocky, the flying rooster, he's next to her. And he says, is it as good as you thought it would be? And she's like, it's so much better. Like, she had no idea what was on the other side of the fence, right? I think that's, like, probably the most profound, like, statement of the whole film is, like, we don't know what's on the other side of the fence, but we're going to we're gonna try and get there anyways. We're going to radically imagine what it could be. There was another scene where Rocky had said to Ginger that it's, an, you know, a million to one chance that they're going to be free. And Ginger looks at him and says, well, that means we still have a chance. And I think that's like just a great way to verbalize just a lot of the ideas of liberation movements and consistent anti-oppression that we don't know. You know, it seems so far-fetched, but in reality, you know, one in a million is still a chance and we can still make this happen. Yeah, one thing I, I found interesting, too, is that the vision that the chickens had of the world that they wanted to live in was not a nicer farm with nicer farmers. It was an island where they were just completely free and autonomous, um, which is sort of radical in a certain way. I mean, people kind of try to debate all these um, nuances of, oh, maybe we can farm them in a way that's more humane or that's nicer or whatever. But yeah, it was pretty clear in this film that these chickens who were intelligent, you know, individuals, they just wanted to be free and they wanted to live life on their own terms. Okay, so moving on, something else that I wanted to talk about was our protagonist, Ginger. Something that I love about Ginger is that she really values the community because when the film was playing, I kind of got caught up with how she on her own could leave, right? She could just get out and then as soon as she's taken and she's about to be killed, Rocky, he hops up on a wire hanger and he gets out of there in like 10 seconds and I was like, why are they trying to escape so bad if he can just get out in 10 seconds? But then, you know, y'all reminded me, he's not trying to get himself, he's trying to get all of the chickens out and that is when the dogs catch them and we I can say a lot about those dogs I can say a lot about those dogs and the rats let's just talk about how really it's a group effort it's about the community because any single chicken could just leave at any single at any point right but then that would kind of make everybody else fail so they have to do it as a team and there's also even though ginger is a leader She's not a dictator. There's not a hierarchy there. She values everybody's opinion. Everybody contributes something to the movement, to the to the li- liberation of the chickens. Even Babs, who is one of my favorite characters too, she's just knitting the whole time. And then we see when they have a secret mission that she knitted all the balaclavas. And I thought that was so funny. If y'all have anything to add on to that about community and um, non-hierarchical leadership and what that means for human liberation as well as seeing an example of non-humans leading their own liberation, escaping. And maybe we should take into consideration that saving one might be harmful, right? If you're saving one individual from a farm, like how is that abandoning so many others and the relationships that they have? Like how can we be responsible rescuers because obviously we can't save everybody while still respecting relationships 
and the trauma that goes along with removing somebody from their community? Yeah, the first thing that came to mind when you asked that, um, well, I was thinking about the idea of like our human centric way of seeing the film. And when you ask a question like Ginger is fully capable of leaving at any point as an individual, but it speaks to the accurate depiction of the social order um, and importance of like the community for chickens, that they always do things as a community and they learn together and the way that they operate is different people having different talents and different abilities and having an order of how things are done based on that. And so the idea that they need to leave together talks a lot about the ways that animal-led liberation might look because chickens are based on their society. They, they don't do well in small numbers. You really could never have one chicken living with a bunch of humans and say that that's appropriate for them or best for their well-being because that's really in the grand scheme of things abnormal and would have some some scarring effects on them as an individual okay let's talk about the other non-human characters in the film the rats and the dogs in the film we see the chickens who are behind the coop right they're being raised for egg production and ultimately for their flesh and then there's also two dogs who are kind of like chained up outside and who are keeping guard. So if the chickens try to escape, they bark. And then there's also these two rats who at first are kind of like watching the chickens try to escape as a form of entertainment. Like they're laughing at them and thinking they're silly for trying to escape. But then later on, we see at the end, they help them out. And they're like crying at the very end and like think it's this beautiful emotional thing that's happening. And So I, I kind of see the rats as allies because they aren't held in captivity they are free to move around as they please and they kind of help right they it kind of takes some convincing for them to help and i see the the dogs as like traitors as still oppressed by humans but not as oppressed as the chickens so they are okay with their their status as dogs so what do you think about that i go back and forth because i think that it does play into some stereotypes of non-human animals so the ch chickens are this community of women that are organizing together and they're trying to escape and then we have the dogs that are subservient to humans as we see domesticated dogs acting as generally uh and then the rats it's kind of interesting because they're little little mangier so i think it like speaks to the idea of like rats collecting things um they're good and their goal is to help the chickens um, survive, but I think it's interesting because there's there's like a social bias against rats, and so the rats are agreeing with the chickens and want to help them, but they want to get eggs out of it because you know they're also just trying to survive. I haven't been able to piece it out fully internally, but it kind of plays on class a little bit and social order, and then just stereotypes of people in different groups. Yeah, the, the rats were interesting to me because they're the two of them are supposed to be like traveling salesmen. You know, they come through the coop and they have all these little knickknacks to sell that they've picked up. And, you know, eggs are sort of prized commodities to them. And they really want the chickens to buy junk that they're selling so they can get eggs and that kind of stuff. But you're right. What you said, Leah, about how their role kind of evolves over time. You know, they're a little bit more antagonistic at the beginning, not necessarily evil, but just laughing at what's going on. And then they get a little bit more invested in what the chickens are doing and become more like allies and yeah the dogs are kind of interesting obviously like all the other animals in this film speak and kind of have personalities the dogs never speak a word they just growl and bark and you know chase after the chickens and they're very much sort of weaponized by the human farmers against the other animals 
Yeah, I think that's a good point about the dogs. Are they traitors or have they been brainwashed into not supporting the chickens, into protecting the human at all costs and doing what they have to do or else maybe they'll be harmed if they don't. If they don't bark, are they going to be abandoned, right? I think that's something to consider. You're right about that. One of the reasons that we also decided to have this discussion today was because coming up on Saturday, May 29th from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m., there's an online Netflix party viewing of this film. So if you would like to join in with watching this same film, you can follow Peace on Facebook or find them at peace-everywhere.org and you can get tickets for this free online event. And through the event, you can get coupons and discounts for local vegan restaurants so they're trying to support the local vegan restaurants and have a little community event while we're all staying physically distanced. The First Nations Health Managers Association sends a heartfelt thank you to all of the hard-working health directors and frontline workers. We are in need of credible information as we face the COVID-19 pandemic together. We invite you to join us every Thursday at 10 a.m pacific for a virtual town hall. We will host various leaders to provide information and answer your questions. Mark it on your calendar, send us your questions, and see you on the live stream at ihtoday.ca. Hi, I'm Christy Middleton, and this is my friend Goldie, and I'm here today to tell you about five fascinating facts about chickens. Number one. Chickens can actually recognize each other. They might all look mostly alike to us, well, maybe with the exception of Goldie, but they can actually recognize each other using facial features. Chickens can recognize up to 100 other individuals by facial features. Number two, hens are great mothers. There's a term mother hen, which means very protective and doting, and that was coined for a reason. Not only do hens cluck gently to their peeps while they're still inside of their eggs, but the peeps actually chirp back. And contrary to what chicken commonly applies, well, hens are actually very brave and protective of their chicks. They'll puff their feathers up and draw attention to themselves to divert predators like snakes, hawks, or foxes from their babies and to themselves instead. And they'll actually puff their feathers out and shelter the birds under their wings for cover. Number three. Chickens are capable of doing simple math. Researchers found that baby chicks are actually able to add and subtract objects as they were moved behind two screens. They performed math to determine which screen hid the larger objects. And it's not just young, precocious chicks we're talking about. Hens were also capable of mathematical reasoning and logic. Number four, chickens have a complex communication system. They employ at least 24 distinct calls with each vocalization having a different meaning, including separate alarm cries to warn of predators, even when the predators are approaching by land or by air. And roosters can exhibit gentlemanly behavior, alerting hens to when they have found something delicious to eat. I think Goldie's telling me she wants some blueberries. Give me a blueberry. Maybe that will keep you content for another second. <laughs> Number five, chickens are social learners, meaning that they learn from other chickens. One study found chickens observing hens pecking at colored keys in order to get a food reward. 
the hens who had observed demonstrators performed more key pecks than hens from another control group. Another study found that chickens will avoid negative stimuli by watching the behavior of another chicken. As you can see, chickens are highly intelligent, very sensitive, and very inquisitive beings. They're our friends, not food. For more information and to get some chicken-free recipes, go to christymiddleton.com. Modern chickens are basically bred to produce eggs for a very short period of time, maybe two years at most before tapering out from exhaustion essentially. These chickens have really short lives and can't have natural reproduction. So within the sanctuary community, a lot of these chickens undergo an operation called the implant to stop egg peritonitis, uh, which is essentially an infection of their cloaca due to this excessive and tiring egg production. So something that I would add on to that is I've heard just from folks who have micro sanctuaries or larger sanctuaries that there's kind of a debate between whether or not chickens should be given this implant because it's quite expensive. And so something that I would offer to the discussion is, you know, how... There's a lot of um, speciesism entangled in our care of animals sometimes because although it might be easy for us to spend $500 on a cow so that they can get proper medical treatment, we may not be as willing to spend that on a chicken because they are smaller and their well-being, their existence is maybe not going to be bringing in as many funds as having a cow. So that's not necessarily the sanctuary's fault as much as it might be us as vegans who are supporting sanctuaries, how can we support micro-sanctuaries and folks who have birds and chickens as opposed to just people who have larger animals? Exactly. And the cost of it can range from $90 to $600, which I think is an important consideration. There's also debate on whether or not it benefits their happiness and well-being, but a lot of people have seen that because it reduces physical pain, that it is a really good thing to do. So do you want to talk about uh, regulations of taking care of companion chickens in Vancouver? In Vancouver, you can raise chickens as companion animals. And there are many reasons that you want to do so without even consuming their eggs. But the rules that you need to follow would be that you may not have a rooster. So no male chickens whatsoever. They have to be at least four months old when you get them. And you have to pay a fee and also double check with all of the people in your neighborhood that it's okay to have a chicken. <laughs> Uh, you can't have them in your front lawn as well. They have to be in a backyard, which means you have to have that space. And you also do need to have a coop that is a proper, secure structure with a chicken run um, and a nest box for these chickens. Yeah, I mean, I don't know all too much about chicken care or chicken adoption, but yeah, I think it's worth talking about because some people may not be interested in taking care of like a cat, for example, who you have to feed uh, animal flesh to, mm -hmm. you know, they might want to take care of uh, an animal that's more appropriate, I guess, for a vegan to take care of. Isn't that the case with chickens? What, how, what would you feed a chicken? That's a good question. Uh, chickens are omnivorous. They like to forage um, and scout out food. So they'll eat vegetables, they'll eat fruits, they'll eat bugs, and they'll also eat their own eggs. So you can crush up eggs and feed them back to your chickens so they can get calcium back into their diet, which is really needed. And also they learn really quickly. So one of the regulations in Vancouver is that you have to have no more than six chickens. However, I would personally say chickens are, are very, very social creatures as are many birds. 
And it's really important to make sure that you have a good social dynamic going on, that you have at least four chickens. They pair bond and create really strong friendships. So yeah, it's important to note that you can't really have one chicken. Is there a law? that says that you have to have at least two or something like that? There's no law that says you have to have at least two. And I think that's really important to consider that a lot of people might not know that these animals require a lot of socializing, similar to rats or hamsters in that regard. But we're also social creatures and similarly, so. Anything else you want to add? That chickens still have the ability. We have all these different breeds that are kind of under the radar that aren't really here to produce eggs, that their purpose in life isn't to produce eggs for human consumption. Their purpose in life is to just be chickens living freely and being dynamic, being social, enjoying the outside worlds, foraging for bugs and helping turn soil. You know, when I think about a chicken, I, that's what I think of as their, you know, their MO. What they want to do is eat and have fun with their friends rather than produce eggs for human beings. Um, So that's just been something that I've been thinking about a lot recently, that there's this general perception of chickens as being what we get eggs from, but we don't expect that from a pigeon. We don't expect that from a parrot, (laughs) though people have parrots as companion animals all the time. Yeah, I mean, the reason, if the question is why why do we expect that from a chicken and not from a parrot? I think it just has to do with like the history of what's normal for us as people in this place. Like I'm sure in other places or even in the United States and Canada, like people probably eat eggs from other animals. So I think part of the the real struggle is, you know, like we say sometimes, like people at the farm would ask you, well, why don't you eat this? You take care of these chickens and they're, they're just leaving these head, eggs behind. And you say, well, it's not food. It's just simply not food. So, like, how do we show people that, yes, these chickens might be producing eggs once in a while, and they're my, my companion, and I'm taking care of them, but no, I'm not going to eat their eggs because it's just not food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there is, like, a level of privilege in being able to say, here's something that other people consider food, and I'm, not, I'm just not going to eat it. But also, most of us are in that position where we don't have to consider that as food, you know? Yeah, and especially with... Um you know, animals that we classify as farm animals, that there's this purpose that every being on earth has something to provide for either human beings or for the land. Human beings associate predominantly with creatures that don't do that. You know, cats and dogs did in some sense have a working role for human beings. But now we've reached a point where we don't see dogs and cats as having to be necessarily service animals, that they can be beneficial to us just through their companionship that we love these animals unconditionally regardless of their medical conditions or their needs. And I think that we could evolve towards seeing almost all animals in that way, that they don't need to provide a service to us and that their companionship or even just their existence on earth is really enough. Enough of a reason for us to protect them. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. people always talk about if we don't eat animals, Mm -hmm. then would they go extinct? Like, what would happen if we didn't eat the animals? And care for them, yeah. And we don't eat dogs, and we don't eat cats, Mm -hmm. and we don't ask a service of them. Mm -hmm. And I think that 
a similar, <laughs> there might be a similar outcome if we didn't eat cows, if we didn't eat pigs, if we didn't eat chickens. Yeah, I mean, the bigger question here is what do I see as the future? What do I imagine as a liberated world when it comes to non-human animals? I guess the way I see it is I see a world where we do live in like an interspecies community where uh, in a human household, for example, you would have non-humans as well living with you if, if you were able to take care of them because dependency isn't necessarily a bad thing. Just like humans depend on each other for survival, non-humans can depend on us as well. It's our responsibility to take care of them if we have in some way or another brought them into this world. I don't think we should continue bringing them into this world because there's so many who need homes, but when it comes to those who already exist, I think ideally we would have a sanctuary where cows or any other animal wouldn't have to be sterilized, where they could continue having their families and we could be able to take care of them. I mean, it's tricky because there's so many right now who need homes that it's hard to imagine a future where where they could just continue having children. They could be contained inside of... And even this idea of them being contained in a sanctuary is kind of problematic, right? So when it comes to where do we go, I think we have to just start with breaking down this idea that other animals are food or are clothing or are for our use in any way, even as companions. If they don't want to be our companion, we can't force them to be our companions. I really like that. And I agree that there's some individuals that are non-human that we expect or we desire as humans to have a relationship with. And there's something novel about that. But there's also something just quite, quite wrong about that. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I think that we have this expectation or this desire to be extraordinary in our relationships with other creatures and that it is true we can have strong bonds with non-humans the same way that we have really strong bonds with other humans and that's one thing that I find really important about chickens is when you see the way they socialize they're brutal to one another sometimes they peck at each other when they're molting they fight for food they clearly tease one another, but they also band together. They also fight against attackers as a unit. At the end of the day, they always have each other's backs because that's their community. People have this assumption that they're not intelligent because they're birds and they're small. I find that so disappointing. This strange desire that humans have had to harness and manipulate life to our benefit but at the end of the day like their desire to just run free and to forage and to peck at one another and to lay eggs and to maintain the autonomy and deciding of what to do with those eggs that's something that we haven't been able to breed out of chickens you are listening to vancouver co-op radio 100.5 fm cfro we are from From three cute little journalist club Please listen because this is an awesome place. My next guest today is neuroscientist Dr. Lori Marino, an expert on animal behavior and intelligence. Dr. Marino is the founder and executive director of the Kimmela Center for Animal Advocacy and is a former faculty member at Emory University. Her paper entitled Thinking Chickens, a Review of Cognition, Emotion, and Behavior in the Domestic Chicken was published in the journal Animal Cognition last year. Hello, Lori, and welcome to Animal Voices. 
Thank you for thank you for having me. Absolutely, thank you for being here. <laughs> so to start, uh, most of your research to date has centered on cetaceans and primates. What inspired you to look through the peer-reviewed research on domesticated chickens and publish a paper on it? The paper about chickens is actually part of a larger project called the Someone Project, and it's a joint project between Farm Sanctuary and the Camilla Center. And what we're doing with that multi-year project is we're looking at the scientific findings on social and cognitive and emotional complexity in farmed animals. So uh, the chicken paper is really one in a series. We've done a paper on cows and a paper on pigs, and we're currently working on a paper on sheep. Wow. So how did you go about finding and compiling the research for your, for your review? Well, uh, the, 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 the research is in the peer-reviewed scientific literature, and we wanted to make sure that we only used peer-reviewed studies. Uh, therefore, you know, we know they're objective, they've been peer-reviewed, they're not subject to a lot of interpretation or impression, and they're just out there in the scientific literature. Pulling all of those together, the main question was, okay, given what we know now, who are these animals? Who are chickens? Who are pigs? Who are sheep, etc.? And uh, taking that information as the starting point and then going from there and putting that back out there in a more cohesive way uh, for both the public and the scientific community. Absolutely. Uh, chickens have been in the news a fair amount in recent years for their remarkable visual cognition and spatial orientation skills. Uh, what can you tell us about this? Yes, well, obviously uh, chickens uh, have not been considered to be the most intelligent animals. And uh, it's only recently that people have started to really take a look at who they are. And I can tell you that despite people perceiving them to be pretty low on the intelligence scale, um, they're actually right up there. And one of the things that we discovered through our paper is that chickens share many capacities with primates. Mm. And so, you know, if a chimpanzee or a monkey does something, it becomes big news and it's considered to be incredibly complex and sophisticated. But if a chicken does it, it's doesn't, it's not perceived in the same way. And I think my point is, is that we have to really consider the fact that chickens are, are really thinking complex beings. Absolutely. So uh, for a long time, it was assumed that humans were the only species that was self-aware, but obviously we know now that that isn't true. Um, can, you yes. tell us, um, can you tell us about some of the evidence found of self-awareness in chickens? Well, self-awareness is a really complex and sort of general concept. Uh, we know, for instance, that chickens are, are very capable of self-control, meaning that they can uh, sort of control their own behavior uh, when given the opportunity uh, to hold out for, say, a greater reward. So this notion that, you know, they're aware of, you know, their behavior and they can decide how they want to respond to something um, is a form of self-control. They, a form of self-awareness. 
Uh, they also understand things like their role in the social hierarchy, and they can assess their own role by watching how others uh, uh, interact. So there are a lot of different ways that they show that they're uh, aware of their their own individuality and their role in the social in the social culture. Hmm. So your your paper delves a bit into social cognition and complexity in chickens, and you you point out that chickens, like other social animals, demonstrate their cognitive complexity when placed in social situations requiring them to solve problems. Can you elaborate on this? (laughs) Sure. The thing that struck me about learning about chickens is, is the incredible complexity of both their communication uh, their calls, their referential communication calls, alarm calls, food calls, and how that is embedded in this whole complex psychological, social, you know, framework. So, for instance, you know, when uh, roosters make alarm calls, if they see an aerial predator, like a hawk, they will make a very specific alarm call. But it's not just, you know, stimulus response. They manipulate their alarm call depending upon whether there's a female available who he can impress or another subordinate male uh, who might be able to be the one that's taken by the predator. They use their alarm calls in highly manipulative and intentionally deceptive ways. And then you find that there are food calls where they do the same kind of thing, and you see these kinds of manipulations, deception, and counter-deception strategies. Now, back, you know, back in the 90s, when we saw this in primates, we called this Machiavellian intelligence, and it, and it just, you know, blew the lid off of the scientific world and our understanding of you know, primates and other animals. Well, we're seeing Machiavellian intelligence in chickens. And so this means that we really need to think about, you know, just the continuity in psychology across all species. That's really fascinating stuff, Laurie. Tamir here. Sounds like you have a great deal of enthusiasm and passion for this subject. And I was wondering what actually brought you to this field of studying chickens and how they work and that kind of thing. You know, I, I did uh, work with chickens when I was a graduate student for a short while, but really uh, it was the fact that um, I was approached and asked to apply um, science to advocacy, and that combination I found extremely attractive. Uh, and obviously, as someone who is very concerned about how we treat these animals uh, and I'm a vegan myself. Uh, I thought, wow, this is a great opportunity to bring together, you know, the scientific community and the public to try to understand who these animals are and provide the information that might help people to treat them better. Yeah, that's great. I I wish, yeah, I completely agree, and I wish people would... We see these stories come out every now and then, and I wish people would sort of parallel them to, you know, what they have on their plate versus what they're reading in these articles and stuff Mm -hmm. and sort of look at them side by side and actually think about what you're saying. Absolutely. 
Yes. I mean, I think that the thing that's attractive to me about what we're doing with the Someone Project is that we're not going on impressions. We're going on the scientific literature. And so whatever you read in our papers has been really, <laughs> really well researched. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're hoping that peer-reviewed scientific papers and the white papers that we create based upon them are considered to be sort of the, the cutting edge of what we know about these animals and are not biased in any way. They are, you know, what the science is telling us about these animals. And we're not going overboard and making proclamations about chickens being more intelligent than grandpa or something <laughs> like that. I mean, we're, we're really looking at who they are, and that means looking at their capacities as well as their limitations and, and what it means to be a chicken or a pig or a cow or a sheep. That's great. So some of the studies that you looked at in this paper uh, dealt with emotions and cognitive bias in chickens and even found that they display empathy. Tell us about this. Yes. Uh, this is amazing. One of the, the widespread uh, mythologies about chickens is that they don't have emotions and that hens don't care about their chicks. And so we can pretty much do anything we want to them because they just don't have those attachments. But that's absolutely not the case. And there's been some work done by uh, a group uh, of folks in um, Europe in its recent work showing that hens very much care about what happens to their chicks. So if you put them in a situation where the hens uh, observe their chicks um, uh, receiving an aversive puff of air. Now, it's not anything that harms them. It's a momentary thing. It's not a, a really big deal. But when a hen sees her chicks getting a puff of air, she gets emotional. She, her heart rate goes up, her blood pressure goes up, and she calls out to her chicks. She wants to make sure they're okay. Because she knows a puff of air, you know, couldn't be disturbing. It, she doesn't care if she gets a puff of air. Um, it's not based upon anything the chicks do. Hens care about the state of, you know, the welfare of their chicks. And when somebody disrupts that, you know, they go into action. So there's a lot of t maternal protection there. That's something that I don't think people know. And... And, and it's something that is really important to consider when we think about, you know, how we treat these animals. They really do care for their kids. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I was just thinking about um, a video I saw recently of uh, a hen. You know, it seems like hens are amazing mothers in general, and occasionally mm -hmm. they adopt other species. I saw a video of a hen sitting on the a couple of tiny little kittens, and somebody was trying yeah. to reach in there for the kittens, and she was not having it. She was just like pecking at them like, no, absolutely not. You will not touch these kittens. Exactly. I mean, the maternal instinct is very, very strong, and that that maternalism is underwritten by emotion, mm -hmm. by emotion and emotional contagion is a very basic form of empathy. I mean, Franz Duval, the primatologist, has talked about that 
as being a very fundamental uh, basis of, you know, all the kinds of levels of empathy that we see in the animal kingdom. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've read some of his work. It's really fascinating stuff. Um, overall, what would you say was the most surprising thing that you found or some of the most surprising things that you found when reviewing this body of research? I think the surprising thing that I found was uh, really, again, the social complexity of chickens. I think that, you know, it's really important to really, you know, sort of probe. So if you see a bunch of chickens and, you know, hens and roosters foraging in a garden, you might just think that they're just pecking and balking and clucking and that it, there's not really any any complexity to it per se. But then again, when you go in there and you manipulate, and you can do this in a totally non-invasive way, as many of these studies are non-invasive, you and start asking questions and probing. What happens if I do this? What happens if I do that? What happens if the rooster sees this instead of that? It uncovers this whole incredible world of complexity. It's not just a bunch of chickens in a field. All of a sudden now, this is a, a, a social, a, a socially complex group, a whole framework. Who's competing with who? Who's trying to deceive somebody so that they can get the girl? Um, deception, strategies, intrigue, you name it. It's all there. You just have to look. Laurie, I'm wondering, um, once the research is, is complete, if it ever is, uh, how, do you, how are you going to uh, bring this to the table in situations where the chickens are suffering, um, and how can we use this information to improve the lives of chickens and, and maybe get them to not suffer at all anymore? Well, I think that, first of all, you know, information is the beginning, because you need to know who you're dealing with and what kinds of beings these are, um, and so that this project is a way to sort of restart that whole conversation, not only with scientists, but with the public, and especially with the public, uh, to get them to understand, to give them an opportunity to get to know who chickens are and pigs are, etc. So I think that informs the ethics, uh, and, you know, I go all over and I talk about these studies and the ethics of how we treat chickens, um, and you know, why we need to take another look at how we, we treat these animals as well as other animals. Um, and I think hopefully it will give people an opportunity to relate to them. I mean, everyone can relate to, you know, maternal, you know, possessiveness or paternal protection. Um, and uh, that might be a way, a hook for people to start to begin to think about who is on their plate. I mean, it really is about who and not what is on their plate. It's, it's trying to reverse the objectification of these animals um, and uh, revealing really the inconvenient truth uh, behind uh, who they are. Yeah, I feel like you, you hit the nail on the head there. Inconvenience is a big part of why we have these blinders on. Um, I was wondering if the, with the work that you've been doing have, has drawn any opposition from anybody. You know, it's very interesting. Uh, there have been a few, there's been some opposition, but by and large, what I've been surprised about is just 
how embraced the work is. Mm-hmm. So when we come out with our chicken paper, well, just as, as you're giving me the opportunity to talk about it with the pig paper, with the cow paper, we've had interest from media and journalists and scientists from all over the globe. So somehow people do want to know who these animals are. They're interested. Um, and that, I think, is a, is a is an excellent starting point. It's a really good thing. Uh, we haven't had, we've had a little bit of pushback from quote the industry, uh, but I but uh, I think because of the fact that we are in the pro- we're educating people, we're not uh, in a policy making domain. That you know the industry. I'm sure they're keeping an eye on us, and and whenever a paper like this comes out. They note it, and they probably don't like it because it, it you know, it, it reveals mm-hmm. who these animals are and, by implication, you know, what they're doing to them. Absolutely. Um, just going back to what you were talking about before, about uh, you said that chickens sometimes practice intentional deception of one another, yes. which does indicate self-awareness, theory of mind, that oh, sort yes. of thing. Um, and uh, can you elaborate on that? How and why do they do this? Well, in the, in the case of, for instance, here's, here's a good example, and I love this example. So, you know, they have referential communication, they have certain alarm calls, uh, and they have certain food calls. And roosters, when they find a really delectable a bit of morsel of food. They make a big show of it. They make a call. They do a dance. Um, and of course, you know, especially when there's when the ladies are around, they make a big show of it because they can attract the hens who could then, you know, mate with them. And the hens are very attentive to who is able to find the tastiest bits of food and who makes the biggest steal of it and and so forth. So there's this whole dynamic going on. But sometimes, sometimes roosters will vocalize as if they have discovered food, but they're actually pretending. (laughs) There's no actual food. So it's a ploy. And it does work for a while. But then after a while, the hens get wise to him, mm. and they just stop responding to his deceptive tactics. Um, they kind of know, oh, he's the guy who's always crying wolf. <laughs> you know, he's the guy who's always saying he's got food, and he never does. So, <laughs> ladies, just, just ignore him, you know. Wow. And so I, I love that because it is so, you can relate to that. You know, you mm-hmm. have these guys who are all puffed up and are trying to impress the ladies, and they just go one step too far, and the ladies are on to him, and eventually they change their behavior so that they're not fooled anymore. Those are the kinds of things that we see. That's amazing. Yeah, you're yeah, right. It's people, yeah. <laughs> people think they're just out there pecking around in the dirt, but it's no, 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 no. <laughs> they're scheming. There's all kinds of things going on. Believe me. Yeah, that's that's great. Take over the world. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming on Animal Voices today, Lori, and sharing this incredible wealth of knowledge with us. Oh, my pleasure. It's always fun to talk about these animals. Absolutely. And, and just who they are. They're yeah. very relatable. <laughs> Thank you so much. We've been Thank spe- you. 
We've been speaking with Dr. Lori Marino, neuroscientist and expert in animal behavior and intelligence. Her paper, published in the journal Animal Cognition, is entitled Thinking Chickens, a Review of Cognition, Emotion, and Behavior in the Domestic Chicken. You can read the entire paper online. There's a link to it on our Facebook page, Animal Voices Vancouver, and we will also put a link to it on our website at animalvoices.org. You've been listening to Animal Voices here on 100.5 FM Vancouver Co-op Radio in Vancouver, BC, Canada, unceded Coast Salish territories. Join us next Friday, May 22nd at noon. We'll be presenting a review of Canadian filmmaker Liz Marshall's new documentary called Meet the Future. Plus, animal rescue stories in this time of COVID-19, when farmed animals have been facing mass euthanasia as slaughterhouses have been gradually shutting down. We here at Animal Voices want to connect with you online. Visit our website, animalvoices.org, where you can stream past shows and download them as podcasts. You can also see our show blog there with detailed links and subscribe to us on iTunes. Stay in touch with us on Facebook and Instagram at Animal Voices Vancouver and on Twitter at Animal Voices YVR. Now we'll leave you with a song. Here's The Meters with Chicken Strut. Stay tuned for Radio EcoShock with Alex Smith. Thank you for listening to Animal Voices today. Please stay safe and healthy, and remember to be kind to the animals. Mm-hmm.